Chapter Twenty One of Junior Classics, Volume Five Stories That Never Grow Old. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Junior Classics, Volume Five Stories That Never Grow Old. Edited by William Patton. Section 21. Friday Rescued from the Cannibals by Daniel Defoe. I was surprised one morning by seeing no less than five canoes all on the shore together on my side of the island, and the people who belonged to them all landed and out of my sight. The number of them broke up all my measures. For seeing so many, and knowing that they always came four or six, or sometimes more in a boat, I could not tell what to think of it, or how to take my measures to attack twenty or thirty men single-handed, so lay still in my castle perplexed and discomforted. However, I put myself into the same position for an attack that I had formerly provided, and was just ready for action if anything had presented. Having waited a good while, listening to hear if they made any noise, at length, being very impatient, I set my guns at the foot of my ladder and clambered up to the top of the hill by my two stages as usual. Standing so, however, that my head did not appear above the hill, so that they could not perceive me by any means. Here I observed, by the help of my perspective glass, that they were no less than thirty in number and that they had a fire kindled, and that they had meat dressed. How they had cooked it I knew not, or what it was, but they were all dancing, in I know not how many barbarous gestures and figures their own way round the fire. While I was thus looking on them, I perceived by my perspective two miserable wretches dragged from the boats, where, it seems, they were laid by, and were now brought out for the slaughter. I perceived one of them immediately fall, being knocked down, I suppose, with a club or wooden sword, for that was their way, and two or three others were at work immediately cutting him open for their cookery, while the other victim was left standing by himself. In that very moment, this poor wretch, seeing himself a little at liberty and unbound, nature inspired him with hopes of life, and he started away from them and ran with incredible swiftness along the sands directly towards me. I mean towards the part of the coast where my habitation was. I was dreadfully frightened, I must acknowledge, when I perceived him run my way, and especially when, as I thought, I saw him pursued by the whole body, and now I expected that part of my dream was coming to pass, and that he would certainly take shelter in my grove. But I could not depend by any means upon my dream, and the other savages would not pursue him thither and find him there. However, I kept my station, and my spirits began to recover, when I found that there was not above three men that followed him. And still more was I encouraged when I found that he outstripped them exceedingly in running, and gained ground on them, so that if he could but hold out for half an hour, I saw easily he would fairly get away from them all. There was between them and my castle the creek, which I mentioned often in the first part of my story, where I landed my cargoes out of the ship, and this I saw plainly he must necessarily swim over, or the poor wretch would be taken there. But when the savage escaping came thither, he made nothing of it, though the tide was then up, 
but plunging in swam through in about thirty strokes or thereabouts landed and ran with exceeding strength and swiftness when the three persons came to the creek i found that two of them could swim but the third could not and that standing on the other side he looked at the others but went no farther and soon after went softly back again which as it happened was very well for him in the end i observed that the two who swam were yet more than twice as long swimming over the creek as the fellow that fled from them it came very warmly upon my thoughts and indeed irresistibly that now was the time to get me a servant and perhaps a companion or assistant and that i was plainly called by providence to save this poor creature's life i immediately ran down the ladders with all possible expedition fetched my two guns for they were both at the foot of the ladder as i observed before and getting up again with the same haste to the top of the hill i crossed towards the sea and having a very short cut and all down hill placed myself in the way between the pursuers and the pursued hallowing aloud to them that fled who looking back was at first perhaps as much frightened at me as at them but i beckoned with my hand to him to come back and in the meantime i slowly advanced towards the two that followed then rushing at once upon the foremost i knocked him down with the stock of my piece i was loath to fire because i would not have the rest here though at that distance it would not have been easily heard and being out of sight of the smoke too they would not have known what to make of it having knocked this fellow down the other who pursued him stopped as if he had been frightened and i advanced towards him but as i came nearer i perceived presently he had a bow and arrow and was fitting it to shoot at me so i was then obliged to shoot at him first which i did and killed him at the first shot the poor savage who fled but had stopped though he saw both his enemies fallen and killed as he thought yet was so frightened with the fire and noise of my piece that he stood stock still and neither came forward nor went backward though he seemed rather inclined still to fly than to come on i hallowed again to him and made signs to come forward which he easily understood and came a little way then stopped again and then a little farther and stopped again and i could then perceive that he stood trembling as if he had been taken prisoner and had just been sentenced to be killed as his two enemies were i beckoned to him again to come to me and gave him all the signs of encouragement that i could think of and he came nearer and nearer kneeling down every ten or twelve steps in token of acknowledgment for saving his life i smiled at him and looked pleasantly and beckoned him to come still nearer at length he came close to me and then he kneeled down again kissed the ground and laid his head upon the ground and taking me by the foot set my foot upon his head this it seems was a token of swearing to be my slave for ever i took him up and made much of him and encouraged him all i could but there was more work to do yet for i perceived the savage whom i knocked down was not killed but stunned with the blow and began to come to himself so i pointed to him and showed him the savage that he was not dead upon this he spoke some words to me and though i could not understand them yet i thought they were pleasant to hear 
for they were the first sound of a man's voice that I had heard, my own accepted, for above twenty-five years. But there was no time for such reflections now. The savage who was knocked down recovered himself so far as to sit up upon the ground, and I perceived that my savage began to be afraid. But when I saw that, I presented my other piece at the man, as if I would shoot him. Upon this my savage, for so I call him now, made a motion to me to lend him my sword, which hung naked in my belt by my side, which I did. He no sooner had it, but he runs to his enemy, and at one blow cut off his head so cleverly no executioner in Germany could have done it sooner or better, which I thought very strange for one who had reason to believe, never saw a sword in his life before, except their own wooden swords. However, it seems, as I learned afterwards, they make their wooden swords so sharp, so heavy, and the wood is so hard, that they will even cut off heads with them, eye and arms, and that at one blow too. When he had done this, he comes laughing to me in sign of triumph, and brought me the sword again, and with abundance of gestures which I did not understand, laid it down with the head of the savage that he had killed just before me. And that which astonished him most was to know how I killed the other Indian so far off, so pointing to him, he made signs to me to let him go to him, and I bade him go as well as I could. When he came to him, he stood like one amazed, looking at him, turning him first on one side, then on the other. He looked at the wound the bullet had made, which it seemed was just in his breast where it had made a hole, and no great quantity of blood had followed but he had bled inwardly, for he was quite dead. He took up his bow and arrows and came back. So I turned to go away and beckoned him to follow me, making sign to him that more might come after them. Upon this he made signs to me that he should bury them with sand, that they might not be seen by the rest, if they followed. And so I made signs to him again to do so. He fell to work, and in an instant he had scraped a hole in the sand with his hands, big enough to bury the first in, and then dragged him into it and covered him, and did so by the other also. I believe he had buried them both in a quarter of an hour. Then calling him away, I carried him, not to my castle, but quite away to my cave, on the farther part of the island. So I did not let my dream come to pass in that part, that he came into my grove for shelter. Here I gave him bread and a bunch of raisins to eat, and a draught of water, which I found he was indeed in great distress for, from his running. Having refreshed him, I made signs for him to go and lie down to sleep, showing him a place where I had laid some rice straw and a blanket upon it, which I used to sleep upon myself sometimes, so the poor creature lay down and went to sleep. He was a comely, handsome fellow, perfectly well-made, with straight, strong limbs, not too large, tall and well-shaped, and, as I reckon, about twenty-six years of age. He had a very good countenance, not a fierce and surly aspect, but seemed to have something very manly in his face, and yet he had all the sweetness and softness of a European in his countenance, too, especially when he smiled. His hair was long and black, not curled like wool. 
his forehead very high and large, and a great vivacity and sparkling sharpness in his eyes. The color of his skin was not quite black, but very tawny, and yet not an ugly yellow nauseous tawny as the Brazilians and the Virginians and other natives of America are, but of a bright kind of a dun olive color, and had in it something very agreeable, though not very easy to describe. His face was round and plump, his nose small, not flat, like the negroes, a very good mouth, thin lips, and his fine teeth well set, and as white as ivory. But after he had slumbered, rather than slept about half an hour, he awoke again and came out of the cave to me, for I had been milking my goats, which I had in the enclosure just by. When he espied me, he came running to me, laying himself down again upon the ground, with all the possible signs of an humble, thankful disposition, making a great many antic gestures to show it. At last he lays his head flat upon the ground, close to my foot, and sets my other foot upon his head, as he had done before, and after this made all the signs to me of subjection, servitude, and submission imaginable to let me know how he would serve me so long as he lived. I understood him in many things, and let him know I was very well pleased with him. In a little time I began to speak to him, and teach him to speak to me, and first I let him know his name should be Friday, which was the day I saved his life. I called him so for the memory of the time. I likewise taught him to say, Master, and then let him know that was to be my name. I likewise taught him to say yes and no, and to know the meaning of them. I gave him some milk in an earthen pot, and let him see me drink it before him, and sop my bread in it, and gave him a cake of bread to do the like, which he quickly complied with, and made signs that it was very good for him. I kept there with him all that night. But as soon as it was day, I beckoned to him to come with me, and let him know I would give him some clothes, at which he seemed very glad, for he was stark naked. As we went by the place where he had buried the two men, he pointed exactly to the place, and showed me the marks that he had made to find them again, making signs to me that we should dig them up again and eat them. At this I appeared very angry, expressed my abhorrence of it, and made as if I would vomit at the thoughts of it, and beckoned with my hand to him to come away, which he did immediately with great submission. I then led him up to the top of the hill to see if his enemies were gone, and pulling out my glass I looked, and saw plainly the place where they had been, but no appearance of them or their canoes, so that it was plain they were gone, and had left their two comrades behind them without any search after them. We came back to the castle, and there I fell to work with my man Friday, and first of all I gave him a pair of linen drawers, which I had out of the poor gunner's chest I mentioned, which I found in the wreck, and which, with a little alteration, fitted him very well, and then I made him a jerkin of goatskin, as well as my skill would allow, for I was now grown a tolerably good tailor and I gave him a cap which I made of hare skin, very convenient and fashionable enough. And thus he was clothed for the present tolerably well, 
and was mighty well pleased to see himself almost as well clothed as his master. It is true he went awkwardly in these clothes at first, wearing the drawers was very awkward for him, and the sleeves of the waistcoat galled his shoulders and the inside of his arms, but a little easing them where he complained they hurt him, and using himself to them, he took to them at length very well. The next day, after I came home to my hutch with him, I began to consider where I should lodge him, and, that I might do well for him, and yet be perfectly easy myself, I made a little tent for him in the vacant place between my two fortifications, in the inside of the last, and in the outside of the first. As there was a door or entrance there into my cave, I made a formal door-case and a door to it, of boards, and set it up in the passage, a little within the entrance, and causing the door to open on the inside, I barred it up in the night, taking in my ladders, too, so that Friday could no way come at me in the inside of my innermost wall, without making so much noise in getting over, that it must needs awaken me. For my first wall had now a complete roof over it of long poles, covering all my tent, and leaning up to the side of the hill, which was again laid across with smaller sticks instead of laths, and then thatched over a great thickness with the rice straw, which was strong like reeds. And at the hole or place which was left to go in or out by the ladder, I had placed a kind of trap-door, which, if it had been attempted on the outside, would not have opened at all, but would have fallen down and made a great noise. As to weapons, I took them all into my side every night, but I needed none of all this precaution, for never man had a more faithful, loving, sincere servant than Friday was to me. Without passions, sullenness, or designs, perfectly obliged and engaged, his very affections were tied to me like those of a child to a father, and I dare say he would have sacrificed his life to save mine upon any occasion whatsoever. The many testimonies he gave me of this put it out of doubt, and soon convinced me that I needed to use no precautions for my safety on his account. I was greatly delighted with him, and made it my business to teach him everything that was proper to make him useful, handy, and helpful, but especially to make him speak and understand when I spoke. And he was the aptest scholar that ever was, and particularly was so merry, so constantly diligent, and was so pleased when he could but understand me, or make me understand him, that it was very pleasant. Now my life began to be so easy, that I began to say to myself, that could I but have been safe from more savages, I cared not if I was never to remove from the place where I lived. End of section 21